Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Have you ever stopped to uh, realize that most of the gifts that we give and receive at Christmas time aren't true gifts? I mean, a gift by definition is something that is willingly given without expectation of repayment. And that's not exactly what's happening at Christmas, is it? I mean, think about how we program kids. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's got a list. He's checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. If that's not enough of a threat, we got these creepy elf on a shelf things that are watching kids every movement and reporting back to Santa Claus, you know, so that when those gifts come on Christmas morning, in the kid's mind, those really aren't gifts. Those are rewards for good behavior. Or think about, you know, gift exchanges that we sometimes do. My, my kids, I think, have given up on it. They, they do a gift exchange between the cousins now. Our grandkids give gifts to each other. They used to do this thing where the three kids and their spouses would put their names in a hat and draw a name out, and, and then you would give a gift to the person whose name you drew, and you'd get a gift from somebody else, and there was a, kind of a, a suggested limit of $50, and so I give a gift worth about 50 bucks, and I get a gift worth about 50 bucks. That's not a true gift. That's a quid pro quo, right? That's a, a favor or advantage granted or expected in return for something. Even spouses, I mean, think about it. If he get, she gives him a brand new set of golf clubs and he gives her a fruitcake, that's not going to go over too well, is it? He's going to end up paying for those golf clubs one way or the other for the rest of the year. So truth be told, if a gift is something given to someone without expectation of payment, very few presents that we give at Christmas time are true gifts. Most of the gifts we give have strings attached. Most of them come with the expectation that, you know, we're going to reciprocate by giving something in return. If we give a gift and somebody doesn't give us something of nearly equal value, we feel a little ripped off, don't we? That's why when we see someone give a generous gift with no expectation of repayment, indeed, when someone gives a gift to somebody who can't repay it, we kind of tend to sit up and take notice of such gifts. Those are true gifts. I know a couple have reached a stage in life where they don't need any more stuff. And so at Christmas time, instead of giving more stuff to each other, they take the money they would normally have devoted to buying gifts for each other, and they pool that money, and they, they look for a needy family that could benefit from that gift, and they give it anonymously. 
So it, it's given without expectation of repayment. There is no quid pro quo. They don't even do it for the satisfaction of receiving thanks for the gift because it's given anonymously. The people who receive it don't even know who gave it. It's a true gift. It's given willingly and without expectation of repayment. I want you to understand that the gifts that God gives us are true gifts. They don't come with expectation of repayment. In our series, uh, we're calling The Gifts of Christmas, we're looking at the gifts that God has given us in Christ. What are the things that God has willingly given us without expectation, even the possibility that we could ever repay him? What do we have? What have we been given? Because Jesus came to this world of baby and lived and died and rose again. Last week we looked at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave what? His son, his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's quite a gift. Well, this week we're looking at another amazing gift of Christmas, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where the Apostle Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the what? The gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. What's the gift of God here? Our salvation, our deliverance from the power and penalty of sin, our deliverance from the guilt and grip of sin on our lives, being set free from sin's bondage, being delivered from the wrath of God's judgment on sin. This is the gift of God, Paul says to us in this verse. And because we're so unaccustomed to receiving gifts that are truly gifts, we're likely to say, what's the catch? What's the quid pro quo? If God gives me this, What's it going to cost me? And the answer is, there is no catch. There is no quid pro quo. This is a gift that's truly free. No strings attached. I want you to understand today that salvation is a true gift of God. It's not contingent on good behavior. It doesn't come with the expectation that you'll give God something of equal value. You can't. It's not something you'll end up paying for for years to come. Salvation is truly a gift, willingly given without repayment. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 shows us at least four ways that this is truly a free gift of God. Firstly, it's given by grace. It is by grace you have been saved, Paul says. What's grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is God's favor toward us, contrary to what we deserve. What do we deserve as sinners? Well, Paul is very clear about that earlier in the chapter when he says in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He's saying we were spiritually dead, we were given over to sin, following the evil one, disobedient toward God, doing what seemed best to us, and destined for the wrath of God. There was nothing about us that demanded that God should show us his favor, but God. 
It goes on to say in verse 4, don't you love it when you hit those but gods in Scripture? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God rescued us from sin, from death, from judgment, not because we deserved it. We didn't deserve it. We deserved wrath. God saved us not because we deserve to be saved, but because he is so rich in mercy. His love for us is so great. Grace is what met Paul on the road to Damascus when he was a, a, a terrible, evil persecutor of Christians. Grace is what met God, but, but Saul on the road to Damascus and, and turned his life around and, and, and made of him the apostle Paul, the greatest missionary and theologian of the church. Grace is what met an evil slave trader by the name of John Newton on a stormy Atlantic as he was hauling slaves from Africa to the New World. And it was there in the midst of a storm in the Atlantic that Newton cried out to God and God saved him by his grace and turned his life around so tremendously that he, he became a pastor and an abolitionist, a, 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 somebody who fought against slavery in his culture. And, and it was because of the grace that he was shown that night that he penned those amazing words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Grace is God acting on our behalf, even though we don't deserve it, and we didn't earn it. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells a story about the British author C.S. Lewis, who was once attending a conference of theologians in Britain. It was a study of comparative religions, and, and they were together trying to figure out uh, what is truly unique about Christianity. And so all of these scholars are together, and they're eliminating the possibilities one by one. Somebody suggested what's unique about Christianity is the incarnation, that God became a man and dwelt among us. And somebody said, well, not exactly. There are other religions that have stories of God appearing as men. Well, what about the resurrection, somebody said. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, coming alive from the dead. And they said, well, that's not exactly unique either because there are other religions that have stories of people coming back from the dead. It was about that time that C.S. Lewis entered the conversation. He said, what's all the ruckus about? And they said, well, we're trying to decide what's so unique about Christianity. And he said, no, that's easy. It's grace. And they all thought about it. And they decided, you know what? He's right. There's no other religion that has anything like grace. You know, in, in Islam, you have the, uh, the, the code of law. <clears throat> in Judaism, you've got the, the covenant law that you're to keep. The Buddhists have the Eightfold Path. The Hindus have the doctrine of karma. All of these offer a way to earn favor with God. Only Christianity makes salvation solely dependent on God's undeserved love for us. Salvation is a true gift of God. It is given by grace. And secondly, we see that it is received by faith. It's received by faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Paul says. Grace is the basis of our salvation, and faith is the means by which we receive it. Faith is simply 
<coughs> turning to God with a sense of need and a willingness to receive what God offers us in Christ through his death for our sin and his resurrection to life. Faith is simply a trustful response, taking God at his word when he says that in Jesus we can be saved. Faith is essentially saying, I can't. I can't save myself. But Jesus can save me. He can deliver me from the guilt and grip of sin. He's done everything necessary uh, for me to be delivered from, from the penalty of sin and from the grip of sin in my life. And faith does not contribute to my salvation. It's just admitting our helplessness and receiving the help offered. Like a drowning man uh, grabbing onto a, a life preserver that's thrown to him. Can't save myself, but I can, I can accept the salvation that's offered me. One of the best uh, pictures of faith I ever saw came when my brothers, uh, Dan and Jeff, built a uh, radio-controlled airplane together from scratch. If we could bring that picture up. Now, it was a plane that looked a lot like this, probably like a Cessna 172. Uh, now, you have to understand my brothers. My two younger brothers are an electrical engineer and a rocket scientist. Uh, so, kind of bright guys. And uh, Jeff, who was going to school to become uh, an aerospace engineer, built the airframe from scratch. You know, he had this kit and he built the whole thing and it looked beautiful. He did a tremendous job on it. It looked great. Dan, the electrical engineer, was tasked with building all the electronics, all the stuff that went in the plane and, and the electrical uh, control itself. And, um, and so they collaborated and they built this beautiful airplane. It was all done. Only problem was neither of them had ever flown a radio-controlled airplane before. And uh, they were kind of itching to get this thing in the air, but they had a very strong difference of opinion about this, how it was supposed to go. It was, um, I think, probably a 4th of July holiday at my parents' house, and we decided that there was a radio-controlled airfield down the road from where my parents lived that was just for hobbyists. And we'd go there and uh, experience the maiden voyage of this beautiful airplane. But Jeff, the younger one who had built the airframe, was nervous as a cat. He said, we don't know how to fly this plane. Neither of us have ever flown this thing. Dan thinks he can, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to crash my plane. And Dan is, is, you know, a little bit older than Jeff. And he's saying, what are you worried about, Jeff? I built electronics. I know what all these controls do. I can do this. We'll be all right. And so we went out to the airfield. And Jeff is, is sitting way back. He can barely look. He said, he's going to crash my plane. He's going to crash my plane. And Dan takes the plane. He goes out to the field. He revs up the engine. Now, there was another hobbyist there, uh, a pilot who was apparently very experienced because he had this little airplane, and he was, he was flying all over the place and doing barrel rolls and, and, and loop-de-loops and all kinds of great maneuvers, and then he, he brought his airplane in for a perfect landing, and, and, and the two of them were standing side by side. Dan got our plane up in the air, and it was flying, but it was a, a little bit of a wobbly kind of procedure, making a loop around the field, and nothing too exciting, and nothing, nothing too, uh, well, that it would still much confidence, put it that way. And uh, Jeff is, is back there saying, he's going to crash the plane. He's gonna, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to crash the plane. And, and as they're having this conversation, the, the experienced pilot and my brother, uh, it was interesting that Dan kept getting a little closer, a little closer to this guy, and they kept this conversation up. 
And then at one crucial moment, after the other pilot had landed his plane, we saw my brother Dan hand the controls to the experienced pilot. That was an act of faith. That was somebody saying, you know what? I can't do this, but you can. I'm gonna trust you to do for me what I can't do for myself. That's what faith really is. Faith is admitting my helplessness. Faith is admitting, look, I'm dead in my transgressions and sins. I'm helpless. I need to trust Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself. Salvation is the gift freely given by grace. With undeserved favor, God holds out to us the opportunity to be forgiven, to be set free, to be made spiritually alive. We haven't earned that. We don't deserve it. All we can do is reach out by faith and receive it, taking God at his word that in Christ he will do all that for us. It's like on Christmas morning, you know, somebody's going to go under your tree and, and look on the name tags and find a present that has your name on it. And they'll pull it out from the tree and they'll bring it over to you and say, here, this is yours. When does that gift really become yours? When you reach out and receive it, right? Faith is simply reaching out and receiving what God is offering us in Christ. When, when you believe that it's yours, you reach out and receive this offer. That's faith. I simply receive what God offers me in Christ, trusting that it is now mine. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I, I didn't do anything to obtain it. God bought it and paid for the salvation, my salvation at the cost of the life of his own son. And now he offers it to me as a gift. A gift I receive by faith. Salvation is a true gift, I'm telling you. It is given by grace. It is received by faith. And that means, thirdly, that I contribute nothing to it. I contribute nothing to it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is what? The gift of God, not a result of works. I have a confession to make. I love it when a pastor says I have a confession to make because everybody looks up all of a sudden, they start listening. What's the dirt on the pastor, you know? Well, my confession is this. There are still times in my stupid pride that I think God is pretty lucky to have me on his team. You know, I like to think that when God was choosing those to whom he would grant salvation, it was kind of like kids choosing sides for a baseball game and and the captain sized me up and said, I'd like to have him on my team. In my prideful flesh, I'm inclined to believe that God had good reasons for choosing me. And then I come to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and all such foolish notions are stripped away, aren't they? In three strong phrases. And this is not your own doing, Paul says. It's not your own doing, dude. You, you've been saved by God's grace through faith, and none of that was your doing. It's all the work of God, showing you grace and bringing you to faith. You know, apart from the work of God's Spirit in your heart, you would never have gotten there on your own. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. There's a second phrase that strips away my pride. It's the gift of God. He knew you needed to be saved. He went out and bought and paid for your salvation with the life of his own dear son. Salvation is freely offered you as a gift. All you can do now is receive it by faith. 
And just in case we still haven't gotten the point, Paul adds that third phrase, not a result of works. At least it's not a result of my works. God has done all the work. God's the one who sent his son, his, his eternal son, whose life was of infinite worth. God was the one who sent that one into this world to become a man, to be born a baby, fully God so that his life was of infinite worth, fully man so that he could represent humanity, and God was the one who ordained the life that he would live, a life that would end with, with him dying on a Roman cross, not for any sins that he committed, but for our sins. He was without sin. It was God's will that Jesus would die in our place, paying the penalty, the debt of sin that we could never pay. It was by God's power that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, victor over sin and death. It is God who offers us now forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And what did you and I do to contribute to that? Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zero. It was all God's work from beginning to end. He made me alive when I was dead in sin. He brought me to saving faith when I was a rebel. He gave me his spirit so that I would no longer bow to the demands of the sinful flesh. He was the one who gave me a home in heaven when I deserved hell. It's all his work. I contribute nothing. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross, one of the last things he said was, it is finished. Remember that? That's a word in the Greek uh, that is tetelestai. And it's actually a word from the marketplace. When you had a bill to pay, and you were paying maybe in installments, and then you finally paid the last installment, the merchant would write on your bill, tetelestai, paid in full. That's in essence what Jesus was saying when he died on the cross for your sin and mine. It's now paid in full. Our debt of sin, everything that we ever owed God because we were sinful rebels against him, all of that horrible debt of sin has been paid in full. There's not, there's not anything left to be paid on that debt. I've done it all. I've paid it all for you. <clears throat> Diane and I just spent a few days in Lancaster County. And you know, in Lancaster, there are all these amazing Amish craftsmen who make furniture and, and sell it. Well, imagine going into one of those Amish furniture makers shops and and you're watching as he puts the finishing touches, I mean the very last buffing of this brand new dining room table that he's made. And it just gleams. I mean, the surface is perfect. You look at it and you just admire it. You say, that table is amazing. That would look so good in our dining room. And what if he were to turn to you and say, you like it? It's yours. And you say, wow, that's quite an amazing gift. But surely, I should pay you something for this. What, what can I pay you? And he says, really, to be honest, this is my, my finest work ever. I don't know what price to put on it. And, and so I'm not going to charge you anything. It's yours. You, you can't pay me anything for it. I won't take anything. And you say, but you know what? I, I feel like I should contribute something here, like maybe put in some sweat equity or something. And so you pull out a piece of sandpaper and you go to you know, kind of help him out. And he grabs your hand and pulls it away and he says, no, don't you understand? It's finished. There's nothing left to be done. There's nothing more you contribute. 
Look, either accept by faith that it's yours or, or forget about it. Well, that's what it's like <clears throat> when I think that I somehow still contribute to my salvation. You know, God, you did a pretty good job, but I'll take care of it from here, you know. I'll, I'll make sure that I, I finish it off by going to church, by doing some good works. And we think that somehow we're contributing to our salvation. Forget about it. Salvation is a free gift of God. <clears throat> it is given by grace. It is received by faith. I contribute nothing to it. And so finally, that means I can claim no credit for it. I can claim no credit for it. Look at the last part of verse 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. No one can boast about this. It's God's doing. It's God's work on your behalf. And you say, well, I would never boast about my salvation. I'm not a boastful person. Oh, no. Let me ask you a question. Suppose you were to die today. And um, suppose you were to die today. Do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And you know how most people answer that question, don't you? Most people answer the question, do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? Well, I hope so. I think I, think I probably am. And, and you know why they, they hope they are, but they're not quite sure? Is because they're still dealing with that old paradigm that I've got to earn my way, and I'm not quite sure that I've done enough. Uh, you know, and, and they'll say, but I'm not sure anybody can be, can be sure. And my answer to that is, well, no, according to the Bible, you can be sure. Did you know that in 1 John 5.13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want there to be any guesswork about it. So let me ask you a second question that will help to clarify this whole thing. Suppose you were to die today <clears throat> and suddenly find yourself standing before God and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Oh, you say. I'd probably tell him, you know, I've been a pretty good person, better than most. Um, you know, I haven't committed any, any major crimes or anything. I uh, have done the best I could, tried real hard to raise my family right, went to church some, uh, did some good works, put some money in that red kettle at Christmas time, you know. Well, I would say, who's the only person mentioned in your answer? And you would say, well, me. So who are you saying is really responsible for your salvation? You'd have to say, well, I guess I'm saying I am. And there's the problem. The problem is that none of us can be responsible for our own salvation. Because the Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. There's not one of us that is able, by our own good works, to earn our own salvation. Instead, we have to come to the point where we recognize that before a holy God, we are helpless to save ourselves. We have to rely on what Jesus has done, the provision that God has made for our salvation I mean, if you could save yourself, you'd be your own savior, right? And, and if you could be your own savior, what reason would Jesus have had to come? There wouldn't have been any reason for him to come if you could save yourself. But you can't. 
Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He did everything necessary for my salvation. I can only receive it by faith. I can contribute nothing to it. I can take no credit for it. All boasting is excluded. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, earlier in the passage, Paul said that in Christ, we who are spiritually dead have been raised to new life in him. Well, think about that. When a dead person is raised back to life, he can't boast about that. All he can do is thank the one who raised him, right? So go back to that question again. If you were to die today and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Hopefully, you wouldn't say, I did the best I could. How lame is that? Hopefully, you'll say, Lord, I want you to let me into heaven because I have such a great Savior. Because I have trusted in Jesus, who did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Your son, whom you sent in your love to come into this world, to take my place and pay the penalty of my sin by giving his life on the cross, and then you raised him from the dead so that I can have new life in him. Father, I've put my faith and trust in your son and the work that you had him do on my behalf. He's my only hope. You see, salvation is a true gift of God. <clears throat> when you grasp that you don't deserve it and you can't earn it, when you quit trying to work for it and receive it, no strings attached, that's when you go from being spiritually dead to coming alive with Christ. That's when you begin to figure out you no longer need to fear God's judgment. That's when you get set free from sin's bondage and learn to live in the glorious freedom of Christ. And then you can't help but shout, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And Jesus did all that for me. That, my friends, is the free gift of salvation. That is the gift of Christmas. Let's bow in an attitude of prayer. If you already know Christ as your Savior and you, you've trusted him for salvation, just take these quiet moments to give thanks. To give thanks for all that God has done for you in Christ. But I want to address those who are here today who, you know what, when I ask that question, why should I let you into heaven, you started giving me that conventional answer. You started thinking in your head, well, you know, I've been a good person, I've tried real hard, I've gone to church, I've done these things. And now you realize none of that's going to get you into heaven. That's all depending on yourself. And you come to realize in a fresh way that 
You need Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And so you're ready to receive that gift, to reach out in faith and say, Lord Jesus, you did all that for me. I receive that now by faith. I put my faith and trust in you to do for me what I can't do for myself, to pay for my sin so that I could be forgiven, to wash me clean and give me new life with God, to save me from, from wrath and give me the hope of heaven. It's, if that's where you're at this morning, would you raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Is there anybody who's saying yes to Jesus here for the first time? Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you. If you're saying yes to Jesus in these quiet moments, just pray this prayer from your heart right where you sit. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know I don't deserve it. And I can't do anything to earn it. But I thank you for sending Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself. To give his life on the cross to pay for my sin. I put my faith and trust in Jesus now to be my rescuer from sin, my leader for life. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Wash me clean. Help me to walk with you. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, especially if you're praying it for the first time, I want to invite you, as you're leaving today, you'll go out in the main foyer toward the parking lot. There's a big banner that says yes on it, big green banner. And Paul will be standing next to the banner. Just go up to Paul and say, I said yes. And he's, he wants to put in your hand a, a booklet that we want to give you today. It's called Saying Yes to a Relationship with Jesus. Kind of help you to understand more of, of what we're talking about here today and first steps in, in, in walking with Jesus and following him in gratitude. Lord, it's with thanksgiving in our hearts that we thank you for the free gift of salvation. For this amazing gift that we couldn't earn, we don't deserve. And yet because you are rich in mercy and your love for us is so great, you sent your son into this world that first Christmas. And start in motion that whole series of events which led to his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and the salvation that we now have in him. Lord, truly, Jesus is the light of the world, breaking in on the darkness of, of our sin, our estrangement from you. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for sending your light. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.